Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. Okay, we are, I believe we are live, Tracy, so we can just get started with some with some, with some conversations. So uh, welcome to the Old Grad Podcast. This is uh, episode 40-something, I think 45 or 46 we're on. So uh, tonight, our esteemed guest is our classmate, uh, Tracy Fisher. Tracy, welcome Hello. to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome to have you on. I think you and I are both doing the same thing today. We were skiing today, right? You went skiing and I went skiing. How was that? We, well, you went snowboarding. I went skiing. And I was just right. telling Jamie that um, I would love to be able to snowboard, but I do not want to fall on my ass. So I'm a skier. It was great. Yeah. 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 So wh yeah. where did you go? You're, you're in North Carolina? No, you are way off. I am in Ohio. 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 Why Ohio. I don't know that you can. Can you ski in North Carolina? <laughs> I, that's why I was confused. Like, wow, there's even snow down there. I don't know. But it's funny because I just picked up my son who's just leaving the Air Force um, and he has been used to skiing in the Alps with his wow. wife. And so um, she wife. was a little bit nervous. Yeah. Nervous. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I know. Wow. So your mother-in-law, huh? How about that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they were, she was a little bit nervous because she had been skiing in the Alps and she didn't really like it. And, he, and we were like, oh, no, no, no. It's like, this is, these are baby hills. So it was very easy for them. So it was nice. It was a nice little vacay. Daily so I, I, is he home on leave or is he home? He ETS out of the, he ETS out of the, uh, regular air force. And now he's going to be in the national guard. Wow. That's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Yeah. So, I mean, th that's what, what, what an honor, what a contribution, but, um, so what was that like? I mean, how, how long was he in for? What was that like being, being a parent of somebody serving in the armed forces, knowing that you had done this yourself and, well, I have to tell you, I was really surprised and a bit taken aback by my response to him, actually, like when he was going through it, I'm super, super proud, of course. I know that we have a lot of classmates whose kids are in the armed forces or at West Point right now. And so, of course, super, super proud of him. And he is a TACP, which is part of the Tactical Air Control Party. And so those guys are aligned with special ops and um, tag on to communicate and advise for air power. So when he went to get stationed over in Hohenfels, I, I was re I was like a nervous mom. I was very, very nervous about it. So I was really surprised by that, super proud, but like my mommy instincts were uh, at full tilt for sure. Yeah. And, and so how long was he over there for? So he's brand new. He was over there for three years. Three wow. years. Wow. Yeah. That is that is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Thanks. So I want to I want to just I want to just um, say hello to some of our classmates. I see we've got sixteen people listening. Um, I think that uh, we may have froze up and then came back. So just hang with us if that happens, people. It will, and certainly all of the sound will be on the um, on the Podbean podcast if we freeze on on Facebook. But we're uh, Unfrozen, I can see now, so that's that's good. So we're talking. Um, to I can't see any 
anything. You're going to have to just keep me up to date, Jamie. I will. I will. So I'm, 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 uh, I'll keep an eye on the, on the, uh, on the feed. I see that, uh, Scott Clemson wrote, uh, tack peas rock. I don't know what that means. That's what my son is, tactical air patrolman. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Oh, Scott. Cool. And Scott, by the way, Scott sent us a class uh, email earlier tonight that uh, we're still waiting to get our date for our reunion because we have to wait behind 86 and 81 or something that get, they get the first dibs, I guess, on on the uh, the weekend. So we'll, we'll be hearing soon by the end of February about when our mm -hmm. reunion date will be. 30 years, hard to believe. <laughs> it is hard to believe. I was like, wait, 30? Really? Are you sure about that? <laughs> Shit. You know, we should recognize too, today is Valentine's Day. So today is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Tracy. Uh, to you I too. Saw, thank you. I saw a post today. There's there's, there's three things I want to acknowledge. The first one, first one is um, I want to acknowledge that our fallen classmate, recently fallen classmate, uh, Keith Nelson, today was his birthday. So let's remember to have his family in our thoughts and prayers tonight. Um, and then also I saw posted that um, Todd Rumbles and Lisa Woodman Rumbles uh, posted their picture of them on the area, how they met on the area. Um, you know, and I, maybe they met on Valentine's Day, I don't know, but they were posting the, them both walking on the area. That's pretty cool. That's I also saw, uh, I think Troy Pressenberg said that 29 years ago, or Kenny Min said, 29 years ago, a bunch of us, our classmates, we were in ranger school today. It was our second or third day for our ranger class, the one that started in February, and we went through the worm pit. I remember that too, like going through this awful night. It was like, a, I think it might have been a Friday night for all I know, but I think it was, like thinking to myself, wow, I Valentine's Day, like this is not what I expected to be doing Valentine's Day, where we're going through that, this trial, this, you know, cold, muddy, disgusting worm pit at Ranger School. That's what we were doing that day. So this is a much better Valentine's Day for much you. Much better, right? So we went skiing today. You went skiing, I went snowboarding and skiing. My, my wife skied, my, my daughter and I snowboarded. And so, so your daughter-in-law and your son were skiing with you having skied in the alps they yes. probably are like very accomplished skiers and then skiing in ohio where where can you go skiing in ohio what's um so we um so i live near cleveland and it's very limited so i think next weekend we're going to go to where do we oh, somewhere in new york next weekend but we went to brandywine which is mm -hmm. you know it's just local like little baby slopes compared to the alps Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, they're all baby slopes. I mean, even the, uh, well, I mean, the Rockies are not baby slopes compared to the Alps, but it's a different Where'd field. you go? I went to a place called Camelback, which is in uh, the Poconos. And that's actually not where I met my wife. Uh, we are, when we first met, we met skiing at Camelback. We went on a joint trip together in Camelback. So we're back there today, so. Oh, was that on purpose for Valentine's Day? No, not exactly. It was just like, it was President's Day weekend. We had the time off for like, oh, we're gonna go skiing. We're gonna go skiing and that would be like this. But yeah, I don't know what it was like in, in it was packed. Like Northeast skiing is terrible. And I'm I'm a hard, I'm a hard customer, I suppose this way. Cause I've, I have mm -hmm. skied the Rockies, I've skied the Alps. Mm -hmm. To wait in line for 30 minutes on a lift line to go yeah. up and then and have a two minute ride down. It's like, it's ridiculous. It's like, right. you, just, you need to have your head examined. Yeah. 
So, right. So I was good here in Ohio on the baby slopes. <laughs> For sure. I'm good right there. And and um, do you uh, have, do you own your own skis? Or do you have to rent them? I actually have to rent them. But exactly. we are thinking about, it's, honestly, it's not really, to be honest with you, my favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like being cold. And um, I really don't like to fall. I've fallen quite enough. So I I was surprised by how much I really liked it today. So I may consider getting my own skis and my yeah. own helmet. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I I don't have skis anymore. I only have my snowboard because I, start, I started snowboarding ten years ago with my with my with my kids because they were mm-hmm. all taking it out. But it's not cool to ski anymore. You have to snowboard, and I just it was slow. It was just slow going. So I said I'm gonna learn how to snowboard too. And now. That's all I have is a snowboard. So, but I'm ready to reinvest back in skis. I am, especially in the Northeast. It's just not, it wasn't so great for, uh, for today. It's nice family time though, right? Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. It was a great time. And, and, uh, it was me and my wife and my youngest, my youngest, uh, child, my daughter. And so we had a lot of fun That's and nice. the, place, the place is packed. I mean, like, you know, they had us wearing masks and stuff to try to be COVID conscious, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They definitely did not limit the number of people going on that slope. That's for sure. I thought maybe there'd be like less people, but it mm-hmm. was not. It was not. So, so Tracy, uh, welcome again. So we're so so happy to have you here on the Old Grab Podcast. Uh, for a while, I was having, I was not, I was, tr- I was trying to have like a level of diversity within our interviewees, and I was, mm-hmm. you know, being able to pull from. You know, our classmates, people of color, active duty, uh, career army officers, et cetera, et cetera. But the one demographic that was having a little bit of a tough time pulling in were our female classmates. And now we've got more that are coming in, which is great. So there's a little bit of reticence, I think, initially uh, among our female classmates. But I'm happy that you are continuing to sort of move forward with this trend. So thank you for being uh, on the podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm actually surprised to hear that. Well, I mean, my sample size may not be that much, right? So like, I was, I was, like <laughs> okay, you, you have to remember, like, it's only 40 that I've, that I've had so far. So, right, right, but, um, right. So, so give me the here and now. Tell me what you're doing, where you're living, the kids, the whole situation. All right. So you guys know I'm in Cleveland. So you heard about Reese. He's my oldest. Um, he's 24. Uh, and then Kyle is 23. Those, those guys are 14 months apart. Um, and that was, that's a whole story all by itself. And then my daughter, um, is 19. So Kyle, so Reese, Kyle, and then my daughter dwell, and she's at Fordham right now. So this is my first year as an empty nester. And, um, let's see. So when I got out of the military, I was in for like seven years, I was either going to become a minister in the unity church or is going to start doing personal training so that was in the dc area so i started my first fitness company in the dc area and then we moved here to cleveland in 2007 i started another fitness company um and then a couple years later i started another company which is my main company now which is the wellness coach and so uh, i've been doing professional training and coaching pretty much since i got out right since i had kids um first part-time and now it's my full-time gig um yeah so always about always about helping others too so uh so so 
what, how does it work? Like what's, what, how does the revenue model work? Like how do you get clients and who's your target client? And you know, how, how does that whole thing, how does that the whole thing work? So honestly, the whole thing works, um, by my, like my primary source of connecting with people is through LinkedIn because I'm an executive wellness coach. So I basically work with, um, C-suite level or above, um, executives. And basically I, I work with people who are either overeating, over drinking, over stressing, work-life balance. Um, and so of course my model, I know everybody here will appreciate it is very much, um, systematized. So my, my model is well-beingness. So wellness is very much like, okay, how do you fuel, rest and move your body? What are the things that you need to do? So we come up with a protocol for that. And then there's the well-being piece, which is the which I think is a much more fascinating piece, is the mind and the emotion, and we put those together. And so I only work with people who are uh, willing to kind of like open up the lid and work on their thoughts and emotions. So I did spend many years like creating protocols and workout regimens and co-authored a book on nutrition and did my fitness DVD and all of that stuff. It's one thing to know how to do uh, what you need to do. And then it's another thing to actually follow through on it. So that's pretty much how it works. And so I do one-on-one -on -one calls with people and we kind of check each other out. And then I also work with corporations and, um, and I really have changed, I've, I've connected it to leadership, but only in terms of you and I were talking about this really in terms of self-leadership. Like I don't have any corporate experience. I don't, you know, do any business strategizing. I work with self-leadership and discipline and, um, listening to yourself and mental, emotional, physical, all that stuff. So yeah. So that's how that works. Uh, your company mate, Dave Velasquez is on listening. He said, I can vouch for Tracy's work. She's been doing great work for Corning executives. So there's a, there's a plug right there in your, uh, in your Dave. and I will also say that I also engaged you last year. I was one of your, your, your students and I had great success as well. And made some good progress at the beginning, of, well, pre-pandemic and then into the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I really think that what you taught me was to really unpack the emotion piece of like, what are you thinking when you're actually like, uh, when, when you're, when you're, when you're having food, like what, what, what is the, what is the emotional piece? Like, and understand what that right. is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the other thing that I think we unpacked a little bit too was the connection that I have between alcohol and eating mm -hmm. and the fact that if I have, and I was, you know, I was, I was last year, last year, I was at the army air force game and I was having beers with our classmate, Matt Pasmobile. Right. And we were like, and it was like, Matt's a great, do you know Matt, Matt Pasmobile? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's the best. And he's like, you know, he's like, these IPAs, these are like, it's like, it's like nectar of the gods. These IPAs are <laughs> so good, you know, and you have a couple of these IPAs and all you want to do is like eat those soft pretzels and nachos and all that kind of stuff. Of course. Devil. The IPA is like, it, it gets me going. Yep. That's yeah. And you know what? That means that you're totally normal because you have a brain and that's how it works. Like right. that's, that's what happens, right? It's a dopamine hit. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that the wellness industry really does a disservice is that there's a lot of like quick fix, like just do this, follow this diet, do this hit training, you know, Peloton, you know, do this one thing, do this thing, do it, do it very much. Just get it done. Right. Very much military mentality when that's not, that's, that's a huge piece because we are physical beings with, we are an organism 
And so you have to do the right thing. But if you don't have a hold on why you're doing it, even if you are doing the right things, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. People are like, why am I talking about my emotions and my thoughts when I'm actually following the protocol? I'm like, because we want you to keep following the protocol. Not because, and this is a huge thing with West Pointers. I work with a lot of West Pointers, a lot of military, who we were talking about this in terms of when they start to transition that they don't have that external, like you got to take a PT test, you know, you got to look this way in your uniform, you got to look this way for your soldiers or or whomever. When that's gone, some people stay in that mental framework. It's just kind of like, it's all right. It's part of their DNA. Other people are like, woohoo! Like, and it's kind of a little bit of a nut roll. (laughs) I think I was a little bit more of the uh, the latter, the latter population that you're talking about. And a lot of people are. They're like, what is going on with me? Yeah. So it just means you're normal. Well, you know, the other thing that you, that you taught me, which is a little, goes a little bit in con- like contradicts some other traditional uh, methodologies is that being hungry is okay. Like, you don't like this whole idea of like, you, you should eat before you get hungry because you know, you, sh- and you're like, no, you want like, get that, that little bit of discomfort. Like, like, like embrace the suck a little bit, like get to the point where you're a little right. bit hungry. Right. Right. Yeah. Especially if you have fat on your body that you're trying to get your body to use for fuel. Yeah. And here's the other thing about West Pointers, especially Ranger School. I know you went to Ranger School, right? So mm-hmm. it's eat, eat as fast as you can. You never know if you're going to be able to eat again. Um, you're fixated on food. Try for the rest totally. of your life. You can't, yeah. Totally. And I, so I don't, so I don't do therapy. I'm not a therapist, but we do say, okay, what are your current thoughts about it? And a lot of times when people start thinking about it, they're like, um, you know what? I just was working with somebody who's a West Pointer and he said, I was thinking, um, I can't waste the food. I don't know when I'm going to get my next meal. And like, it was really about ranger school and like, you better freaking eat. It's time to eat, eat as much as you can, you eat as fast as you can. Yeah. And that stuff stays I, with you. I maybe I, I I'm going to call a little bit of bullshit on that because I feel like I've been in that same, in that same mode. Like, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. okay. Right. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, if you're, you live kind of a life of, creature comforts you, you gotta you know you gotta be more disciplined i have to be more disciplined like and i'm yeah you said to me too you just stop being so hard on yourself it's true but i need to i need to do better i need to do better and setting yeah. goals is another big thing right it is and you know actually i'm glad that you disagree with me because i'm going to disagree right back with you and that th- okay. there's a difference between um recognizing why you doing why you do something and using it as an excuse right so mm-hmm. if, he, if somebody recognizes that they, they don't even know that they, they're scarfing down their food because they're just focused on not doing it so that they lose the weight. But if we're like, hey, let's just unpack that a little bit. Why are you doing that? I'm like, I don't know. It's stupid. I know better. Well, I, I remember like when I was a plebe and golly, this like this one guy would haze me and like they and you get into it and then you're telling your, your limbic brain, it's your unconscious brain is the part of your body that's like, you get the food, get the food, which makes it so hard to stay disciplined if you don't even know what's going on back here. So mm-hmm. it's not that we say, oh, I was at ranger school. Oh, that's why you overeat. It's totally okay. No, it's like, okay, now you take that part of your brain. You're like, listen, dude, I get it. Right. We used to have to eat like that. Let's come on with us. That's not the case anymore. We're going to take care of ourselves in a better way. So, so there you go. You know, the other thing that I remember you, you, you kind of counseled me was get to the point where you have a hundred urges that you turn right. Down. Like, oh, you remember like, that? No, yeah, yeah. I, I remember this stuff. Like, get to the like you're about to eat something, you see that, you know it's bad, and turn it down. That's one. 
you know, and do it again. They get to a hundred, you know? So that was enough. That's a good technique. So I will say like last year, I was great with my fitness program. I lost some weight. I got in pretty good shape. I ran really well. And I had a bunch of, uh, um, you know, I, I, I it, but here's the thing. I got a little bit complacent. I got to a point where I lost weight. I looked better. I got a lot of compliments. So I was like, you know, you know, and then, you know, the fall rolls around football season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, that I ended up losing a little bit of ground. You know, I, I'm not, I'm still net net. I'm still down where I was from last right. year. And right. I'm looking forward to getting back into a higher year. You're going to do it. You got it. You, you've yeah. told me what yeah. you're planning on doing. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a couple things. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to road march 91 miles with, with Scotty Halstead this year. That's my plan in 20 mile bursts as he comes up the Appalachian trail. I'm going to hit him a couple. That's amazing. And then June 1st, June 1st of this year, we're going to all be together for when he's wherever he is on the Appalachian trail. Hopefully he should probably be somewhere in New Hampshire. So we're going to make that happen for that day. And um, I'm looking to run a half marathon in October. And, nice. so, and then the Army 10 miler, which I try to do every year. And then just kind of, but the main thing is just trying to stay on top of my, my damn uh, horrible eating uh, habits, you know? You cannot out train a poor diet. Mm-hmm. Bottom mm-hmm. line. Yeah. 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 You can't out train a poor diet. Yeah. So, so tell me again, how, how does this, I mean, with, with you, I, I was part of a cohort, right? I paid a fee and then you counseled mm-hmm. me once a month and, mm-hmm. and or once a, I don't know what it was, every couple of weeks or so. And then I had a program online, everything else, but how, how else does this work now? Like, like what, what's your, which, what's the current situation? Right. So that's, so what you and I did was private one-on-one, um, which mm-hmm. by the way, most executives prefer, right? So I have a one-on-one program and then I have an online program that goes with it. It's a, it's a library that's got all the stuff. I'm in, in the process of writing a book and clearing out the model and really simplifying the way that I approach it is a really more of a framework versus this is the way that you should eat or drink or whatever. Everyone kind of gets to create their own as long as it's not stupid, frankly, you create your own protocol, right? So, so that's one way is one-on-one. You do one-on-one, you have access to all these, this online material. If you're interested in, in going there, a lot of executives are like, I just want the one-on-one. That's it. I, I don't need, I don't have time to go through that stuff. And then I work with corporations. We do um, leadership training, like with their team. It's always with the C-suite. I start at the top so that they, they're figuring themselves out because it always, always filters down when you figure out how to manage your mind and your brain. And so, um, so I work with teams, corporate teams in that way. And then, um, what I just am launching literally like this week coming up is something that I wanted to do for a really long time, which is to take that private training where it's a lot of trust and rapport. It's a super safe space. And then also this just incredible like team, team connection in a corporation which is sometimes stilted if you're sitting next to your boss or a colleague. They're not, you know, you're not talking openly about your over drinking or your overeating or whatever's going on in your relationships. So I took both of those and I combined them into a cohort. And so I just am launching my first cohort, which I'm just so excited about because it'll be it's a webinar format similar to like what's what we would be doing here if there if people were online where you can't see other people, but people can raise their hands and they can be coached and it's just it's phenomenal to watch other people tell their stories 
about what's going on. Like you just started, we're talking about Thanksgiving and why you kind of went off the bandwagon and then they can relate to you, but they can see it from this distance. It is just so powerful. And so I'm offering some spaces to veterans doing some scholarship programs. Um, and, and you and I talked about doing something for the class of 91. Like I, I would love to do, to do something to support whomever wants to be supported. Nothing like some classmates to build some accountability around yourself, right? So, um, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. So Holly Fishburne, just just uh, your cla- your teammate said, "I, I love scarf- Holly." <laughs> she says, "I scarf down chips and salsa every night because I didn't get them at West Point." <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> See, I don't believe that. Story. <laughs> I don't believe that. I think Holly might be joking a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, so did you, um, this is all your stuff that you developed or is it franchised at all? Is there like any kind, are you looking to franchise it or is just, this is your program or what, what's your, this is my, so well being this is my registered trademark. Um, and you know, when I shifted from, and the reason I'll tell you that the reason that I shifted from the fitness world, I have two fitness companies and, um, you know, did, like I said, did a fitness DVD, was really focused on that. I came up with a very precise methodology for helping people get what they wanted, whatever they were going to, whatever they wanted in terms of their health and their energy. And then what I noticed was that even if they knew the right things to do, they were not following through. So then that's when I went back to school through well coaches and got certified as a health and wellness coach and created, um, the wellness coach. So what was your question? (laughs) My question was, is that so do you, uh, what, I mean, do you have to pay, uh, are you paying somebody else for their content that, that you no, do? No, 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 no. So all of this. So, so that's why I was saying that is because I think that it is so freaking overwhelming in, in being somebody in the industry. Like, what do I do? Do I do cardio before strength? Do I do strength before cardio? Do I do food? What do I focus on? And it's so overwhelming. There's so much information out there and it's the same on the cognitive behavior side, right? So there's all these different things. I could be doing meditation or should I be, you know, working with a relationship coach or should I just work on my anger management or communication? And there's so many different things that you could be doing. I call them like, it's like squirrel. Like what next thing can I do so what I did is I created a framework to hold that stuff. So it is mine. It, it, it's it's basically a very specific model. It's a six-step process. And it allows people to take like what's most important to them, which may be losing weight, but it might be stopping drinking to save their marriage or to pay attention to a dying parent or um, to just stop feeling like they're on a treadmill. So everybody, everybody's definition of wellness and well-being is different. And I think that our wellness industry doesn't honor that. And they're like, no, you know, 150 hours of moderate activity or 75 of vigorous, that's what you need to be doing. And I think that's just kind of BS, honestly. So this is all mine. And I am working on, as soon as, as you're asking about private versus um, working with corporations, I would like to, we're doing a couple more online courses and then I'm going to write the book. And then eventually I think that we may franchise it. I'm not sure. Um, but it might be just working with corporations and really kind of, um, doing EAP type things. That's kind of like my second, second quarter project. How do you, how do you manage to keep yourself, uh, like 
not overwhelmed with all of the different things coming at you. Like, like th this is either you got to, I'm sure you've got to try to figure out like what's, where's the highest and best use of my time right now? What do I need to be doing? Do you like set up a schedule for yourself with, with like, I'm going to do coaching on this day and then I'm going to do product development for this day. How does, how does, what's your typical week look like? Okay. Well, so first of all, assumption, I, I don't keep myself from being overwhelmed all the time. I mean, I'm literally practicing like what, I, especially like I just did this launch. So I'm literally practicing what I teach right in the moment. Like, okay, take a deep breath and part. And some of the time I'm like, F that. like, I'm fucking, like, I gotta get this done. And so I'm watching myself do that. So uh, overwhelm. I'm not, I'm not an expert on not being overwhelmed because I also am human. <laughs> Um, but what I do do is I condense all of my coaching from Wednesday afternoon, all day, Thursday, and then to Friday. So I do all my one-on-one -on -one coaching and then the rest of the time it's content creation and marketing and finances. And so I do, it's like time blocking. You must do that. You time block, right? I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I honestly, I'm a mess. I, I, I have been trying to time block. I've been using this Calendly, which is like allowing me to sort of like you know, make myself available to other people and I block out spots for stuff to not happen on Calendly. But right. for the most part, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a train wreck, total train wreck. Well, you're totally not alone, Jamie. And here's the interesting thing. I have so many conversations about the morning routine and how you start off your morning and how you manage, you lead yourself versus letting other people put stuff on your calendar or like slowly like letting the external environment take you over and in order to not have that happen like you have to practice being present right and being aware and like not getting distracted and i think that we are all masters at being distracted i mean we all have leadership training it's negativity bias we're looking for the what's going on what's going on you know we're looking all around all the time so in order to like plan your day and then the second piece is to have integrity with yourself and do what you said you were going to do right instead mm -hmm. of blowing yourself off. Right. Yeah. That's a big deal. Talk about it all the time. I feel like you're like looking into my soul when I talk to you. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I feel like you're like I'm looking at my own soul. <laughs> like into like, <laughs> yeah, it's cause it's super common. It's the same conversation over and over and over again. So, so remind me, it's, so you have this model called X tier, X tier. What yes. does the X tier stand for? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. So everybody loves these acronyms. So I do everything in threes. I know everybody on this call does. And so X tier is like the model. It is the well-beingness model. It's the one thing that I teach people. This is it. So the X stands for external circumstances. So it's raining. I'm watching a Zoom thing that my cat's meowing at my door. It's, it, it's, it's, they're actually neutral. It's like whatever is happening in the world. Right. So that's the X. And then you have a thought about the X. That's the T. And then that thought generates an emotion. And that's the E. And here's like the like the nugget is that we think that things happen and then we have an emotion. And that is never true. An emotion is always triggered by a thought. And so that's figuring out the bridge between the external circumstance and your emotion is a lot of personal training in your brain. So that's the X, T, E. And then you have emotion, motivation. Then that triggers your action. That's the A. And then that action will create your results. That's your R. And so that is five steps 
external events, then you have a thought, then you have an emotion, then you have an action, and then you have a result. And all of that is based on your vision for life. So people say to me, um, you know, if a snake jumps out in front of me, I don't have a thought about that. I just jump out of the way. And that's, it's not true. You, somebody taught you that snakes were dangerous at some point, but it's now become an unconscious thought. So we, so learning what's going on between the emotion and the acts is, is huge. And so that's the main model that I use basically over and over and over again. That's fascinating. I remember breaking that down too. Like we we're going through a couple of situations like, Hey, my son's home from college. So we're going to pop open a beer and then we're going to have the, like, how do I basically break that up? So here's the external thing. Here's my emotion. Where's my thought. And so it's, it's a great model. It works. It definitely works. And I remember learning that. And I remember thinking like, um, there, no, it's not. No. When something bad happens, like I have an emotion about it. And when I really figured out that it is my thoughts, like there's so much about mindfulness training and all of that really, it just comes down to what you are thinking that when you realize that, um, you're like, wow, I have a lot more power than I thought I did. I can, I can control this or I can choose not to control it. If but at least you know it's you're the one who's response able able to respond you respond you are responsible for your emotions which kind of sucks sometimes <laughs> all right totally yeah yeah it's like so, taking away the magic wand <laughs> i want to jump to talk about west point and the army and all that kind of stuff but before before we leave this topic i want to just one thing in the comment by clint schreckheis he made a comment question about sleep yeah sleep activity nutrition Tell me about sleep. What what should we be thinking about in terms of sleep? What's the what's the best practice? So here's what I'll tell you. I want I, I'll give you a general best practice, but you guys all know it. So on that wellness side, here's another acronym: from. You're going from wherever you are to where you want to go. Fuel, rest, movement. Every single thing that you can do for your body and your brain goes under one of those three categories. So a lot of people are doing movement really well. Like if they work out at the gym, they're they're in great shape but they're not doing the rest piece or they're not doing the fuel piece. So fuel, rest, move, you wanna make sure all three of those are balanced. And then so for the rest piece, obviously a big piece of that is sleep. And so here's the thing about sleep is that we say, oh, I need to get, you and I were talking about this, I think, Jamie. We were, right? before the call, right. Seven, seven hours of sleep. So you, you, you know- you get a bed, We're past your bedtime right now, right? You, right? Like, you got, <laughs> That's what I said, Jamie, we're past my bedtime. <laughs> You're in bed every night at nine o'clock, nine, nine 30. I am. I am. And then I get up around five. Yeah. Right. But cause I know, but here's the thing. So I know that I, here's my weird sleep. I sleep for seven hours and then every day talk about blocking time. I have from 12 to one and I eat a really quick lunch. And then depending, I literally go inside my body. Like there's sometimes when I'm like, I need, I know I need to take a nap. And I thank West Point for being able to take those really short naps, right. and having a burst of energy. So I know that I have my sleep plus a little nap. Like I can do that. I work here in my home. So the answer, who asked that question? Clint Schreckheis. Clint. So the answer to that is first and foremost is to figure out what's true for you in terms of how much sleep you know that you need. So you need to know that. And the way that you know it is how you feel when you wake up in the morning, not what someone's shooting on you for eight hours, seven hours, nine hours or whatever, is that you, you sleep for a certain amount of time and then you notice your own physical energy levels and your emotional. So it's too, there's a difference, right? When you're kind of dragging ass out of bed because your body is like tired, mm -hmm. your eyes won't open versus when you don't want to get out of bed. Those are two separate things. 
And so then, then you figure that out and then you kind of go from there. Like, am I getting it? And here's another thing. I was just talking to another West Pointer, like turning off freaking Netflix, making yourself go to bed. Literally, we're like nine o'clock, get in bed, 9.30, lights out. We like, we're making fun of lights out, right? So mm-hmm. like making yourself turn off at the end of the day is a big deal. So Clint, feel free to text me if that was not useful enough. I think, I think, I think you're absolutely right in terms of just go to bed, like just, just go to bed. I, I say to myself too, one of the best things I could do is just, my wife has such a rigorous disciplined sleep schedule. She goes to bed every night between 9.30 and like no later than 10. Lights are out and she is asleep. Mm-hmm. She gets a solid eight hours. You know, she's like, she's, she's great at that stuff. She's great at sleeping. It impacts everything. And then if you're not getting enough sleep and you're taking caffeine, you're affecting your adrenal glands and da, 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 like sleep is a great place to start. That's why I was saying, if you think you're not getting enough sleep and you also want to lose weight, then just start with the sleep. Just, just so, start with whatever right, works. Before we do this again, you say caffeine. What about coffee? Is coffee bad? Should we I, be drinking? So I would never say anything is bad. I was just talking with somebody else who just was like saying, so I can never have cinnamon rolls. I'm like, no, you can have as many cinnamon rolls as you want. Know that the cinnamon jacks up your insulin levels and it causes inflammation and blah, blah, blah. You can eat as many as you want. So for the caffeine piece, you have to pay attention to like how thirsty you are. How much are you actually drinking? I'm not like against any of that stuff. So, I mean, if you're drinking caffeine all day long, it's probably not great for your adrenal glands. So it's kind of a a one-on-one thing. Like, do you think you're drinking too much caffeine, Jamie? No, you know, what I've heard is that coffee is a net net zero positive negative, like, because the antioxidants are so good compared to whatever the caffeine piece is. So I, and I, I don't know, I drink probably three, a good solid three, three cups of coffee a day, at least I'd say. Yeah. And do you feel like that affects you negatively? No, I like it. I find like, I find it like, it's like a social thing too. It's I, it's not, it's not, I don't think it's bad for me. No, then that I don't either. Yeah. So thank thank you. I'm sure we'll be hitting back on these these health tips and and what you have going on here as we as we talk tonight. But let's go back to pre 1987. You know, you know, mm-hmm. Trace Trace. Your main name was Sizek. Sizek, yeah. Trace Sizek, high school senior, junior, soccer extraordinaire. What was happening in your life that made you want to go to West Point? How did this whole thing happen? So it's interesting when people ask that question, um, and you and I talked about this a little bit in the pre-call, is that I kind of feel, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and, you know, like talking about how they were always wanted to go to the academy and duty on our country and they were bleeding red, white, and blue. And that was not the case for me at all. So um, my parents were divorced. I lived in Washington, D.C. Both of my sisters went to UVA. I was on my way to UVA. And um, Jean Ventriglia, right, the coach at that time, was sending out postcards, I think, to, I don't know, probably all soccer player, women soccer players across the United States. I don't know, because I was not that great of a soccer player. And he... Um, what did you play? What, what position did you play? I played center half. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, UVA wasn't recruiting me, although UVA's got a pretty damn good team. But so... Anyway, long story short, my I was like, no way, I'm never going to go to the academy. I was overweight by that time in my senior year. I was called uh, Thysic because mm-hmm. I gained nice. a lot of weight my senior year, I know, which is such a great you know segue right into West Point. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And so my mom said, no, Tracy, just check it out, you know, talk with the coach. And, and I never visited West Point. I never went and looked. I didn't know the difference between officer and enlisted. I knew Jack when I, and when I showed up there, like my, it was bad. It was bad. Had you, you had never visited before you'd never gone on a recruiting trip or anything. Just showed up that day. I just showed up at Holly's, Holly, you know, she's like the queen of West Point, Holly and Mark, right? And so mm-hmm. her family was hosting the, the, the soccer team. And so I think I came the day before, met the girls on the soccer team. And then the next day was our day. And then I was like, what? What did I just sign up for? I mean, you knew it was military, right? You knew that it was no, like- No, I did. Yeah, I knew it was military. I knew, I mean, I like- I knew that it was going to be regimented. I looked at the packet that they sent. Like I knew we were going to be wearing those really dumb blue shorts and you know, <laughs> it was going to look really bad. Um, but I really had no idea what I was getting to. And, and by the end, you know, when you can quit, like, what is it like four weeks in? Is that right? Mm-hmm, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about Beth German. She, so she's one of my company mates. Um, I, I was like knocking on that door to Rhonda cook, um, and, and saying, I'm out of here. And I don't know what it is that she said to me, but she made me stick it out. And uh, really? So you're ready to just pop smoke right there for a week. Totally. Huh? I was like, forget wow. this. This is not. Yeah. But it was the soccer team. And um, so wait, so look, look back up a second. Did you, your, your parents were from DC area. So did they drive you up or did they drop you off that day and say, see you later. Good luck tomorrow on our day. Or like, no, it was my mom. My mom and my sister drove me up. It was so weird. I remember staying in a hotel. I remember leaning up against the bed like, oh my God, what am okay. I doing? Yeah. Yeah. So wait, then, did you, you had friends that were going to all those DC schools, right? Because there's a ton of schools down in DC. You know, Georgetown, Georgetown Lola, yeah. that, that, you know, University of Mary. Yep. Mary. By the way, you know, be, I, I was shocked. I don't know if you listened to the podcast with Beach Saxy. Love Beach. Yeah. So, but Beach got, Beach had full rides to William and Mary and Yale and somewhere else, maybe UVA. And she went to West Point. I did not know that about her. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. So she, right. So, and I didn't know that she was strong duty on her country. And, and it's funny because I think she said my, I don't know. She wasn't the one who said that, but she, like, I never would have guessed that about her, that mm-hmm. she, I mean, I know her a little bit better now, and I know she's all about service, so it's mm-hmm. not surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was not my gig. <laughs> so wait, so they drove you up the night before, did it, and they stayed in the hotel with you? My mom did. My mom stayed in the hotel, and then yeah, and then we, you know, we all did the same thing, right? Yeah. Go up. You got sixty seconds. Say say goodbye. See you later. And, so you and you had two older sisters that went to UVA. You said. Mm-hmm. So how much older are they than you? Yeah, so my sister Kim is 14 months or 11 months older than I am. And mm-hmm. then my sister Cindy was four years older. I know we were very so close. These Irish twins, it's good. Literally. runs in your family, huh? It does, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was a disaster. That whole plebe year was a disaster. <laughs> so so you showed up, you met everybody. Now, was um, there's somebody that I've recently got to, I met a while ago. Lo Judas? Lorraine? Is it Lorraine? Juice! Juice, yeah, yeah. She now, was she our classmate? Was she our classmate, or she she was ninety two, I think, right? She was ninety two. I don't know. Holly will know. Or ninety three. 
I think she, maybe she was 92. Yeah, because then they started recruiting girls who were really good, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't play my senior year. And I can't remember the, all the details around it. I know that I had broken ankle. I can't remember all the details, but those girls were good. And Juice, like she broke records left and right. And she broke all kinds of rules too, right? So she like right. she, ended up, she ended up getting booted out of there, I think. Oh, I think you might be right about that. Yeah, yeah. Aww. Well, by the way, so well, Becky Canis, Lamargiana, stays in touch with everybody, and she's she plucks, she finds the best and the brightest of everybody. So she got Juice to come and be a consultant for our nonprofit, and so Juice is just like this super accomplished, like pharmaceutical quality control quality management type person she's, she's <laughs> but Ju- i realized that juice was somebody that you probably knew yeah yeah and it's interesting when you talk about becky canis and beach and deb katulik and holly and i would have to say it's mostly beach and becky and deb were hilarious those they I mean you've talked to them like beach is their, their humor is super super dry and quick-witted like being they also kept me there right just mm-hmm. knowing them and I've talked to beach a little bit recently and I like she's just so funny mm-hmm. <laughs> and smart <laughs> I was way out of my league yeah I was fascinated to listening to beach talk about the fact that you had to all go down to the river courts to practice, that there wasn't a practice for the women's, the, uh, the women's yeah. on the plane and how much that was a camaraderie building event was the, the, the walks back and forth. Right. I had, to be honest with you, I had forgotten about that too. And it was, it was a really big deal. Yeah. Up and down. And I, I recall Holly said too, like you were one of the first recruited classes. He he was putting together this team. So he brought in people from all around the, around the country, but then every year he's bringing like more and more talent. So it became harder and harder to basically totally. remain a, a force on that team because the team started. Totally. So, so. Yeah. But I will say, but Holly's being um, really um, humble because she remained a force on that team for a very long time. Like she got better and better every year, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had something called the package, right? There's a, uh, the package was like, uh, I don't know, two or three women, either in defense or I, I forget, like somebody was called the package, the package. Oh my God. That must've been with juice. You have to ask. Holly. I don't know. I don't know. Holly might know the package. Holly, you might know that. Somebody's going to, somebody's going to pipe in. Like somebody's called the pack. Like it was like, you ran into the package. Like if you, if you got, across the midcourt you uh, the midfield or whatever i i think i, I don't it know might have been like selena and maybe ingrid ingrid got really good too ingrid lynch she married matt lynch ingrid winslow mm-hmm. yeah holly will know that better than i do she was much more tuned into that okay well we'll see if she pipes into the i don't know what the package is the package. i thought it's called the package I, maybe i'm wrong maybe it's called something maybe you're else. just making that up gene maybe i may I probably totally am i probably totally am <laughs> So, so you show up the day before, you go to Holly's house, you meet your, you meet your teammates, and then you show up at Beast Barracks, and tell me what that was like. What was the experience like in, in the D2 Dragons? <sighs> you ask any of those guys, Dave can tell you. Um, like, I was totally, what is the, what's the word that they use for a screw up? Screw up, I don't know. Tie up? Spaz, spaz. Spaz, okay. That was me. I was this total spaz, yeah. And, and, um, 
I don't know. I must have had like a sign on my back. They were out to get me. I remember my first year, um, another somebody who was a firstie when I was a plebe came back and they were talking about Desert Storm. Like they were coming to talk with us about their experience in Desert Storm. And he was right in the middle of this talk, you know, about what's going on. And then he like stops for a second and he like squints and he looks and he's like, Sizek, is that you? You made it? You're still here? And I was like, yes, sir. (laughs) So it's, it was bad. Like I, yeah, I got hazed pretty bad. Yeah. Dave Matheson's pipe in and says, Tracy was not a spaz. That's what she, that's what he oh, said. Oh, that's very sweet, Dave. <laughs> is he your company mate? Yes. And here's a funny story. I'm going to tell the story, Dave, is that you were asking about funny stories. Is that so it was, we were beast cadre class. Of, it was the year of 89. So, right. It was our cow year going into first year. Is that right? Yeah. That's when you can be cadre, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Dave, his like motto for his team, I don't remember exactly, or for his squad, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was literally something like he would say to them, all civilians are, are wrong or they don't know what they're talking about or they're not worth it except for your immediate family. And I remember we were, th- I was like, holy shit, like he's and literally he would have them all say shit like that about civilians and then i don't know dave you have to pipe in and say if you got in trouble for that or like what actually happened but dave Dave is a very different man now he like he keeps us together he sends out like the rosters yeah and that's what you and i were talking about earlier jamie is that like people are like it is a very different experience i mean it was i was thinking about how awesome it was to be there and how funny all of those guys were and like how awesome it was to be at West Point now like it's like even even better if it could be right Mm -hmm. and and Dave is an exact example like he's such a different person you need to interview him he's fascinating you know I agree I I do have him on my list of people that I want to get because I know that he's it's funny yeah so I I stumbled across. He had the blog. He had a blog. He's right. He's a very he's a very cerebral guy. Deep, very deep guy. Great writer. Yeah, because I think he taught in the English department or something. Yeah, he's and, written a couple books. And English, and he's an infantry guy, and also in English. So that's like those are like you know kind of like diametrically opposed <laughs> skill sets. But so then the other thing too that he's really into this analysis of astrology. I found some bizarre thing where he was like contrasting the. Um, various different star formations and like how it connects to mythology and why are all these stories so similar from all around the world like it makes no sense that you'd have like the story of the minotaur here and there and like i think i think i, I think i think that's what he's in so i do want to get him on and you I see have him. to he's yeah he's, yeah cerebral yeah, yeah. yeah so from you know talking about civilians being like worth nothing all the mm-hmm. way to it's like just totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I also want to hear the story about how I think um, uh, Dan Clark drove, uh, rode his motorcycle across the country and hooked up with uh, Dave Matheson for something. And that they had That's some great right. cool. Oh, yeah. Dave. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No. Crazy. <laughs> Craziness. Yeah. All those guys. <laughs> um, so the. Uh, so 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 D two, the summertime you're you're a heat magnet. You said everybody's everybody's all all on top of you, right? Mm-hmm. Then what was the academic year like? How did you do? Were you a good student? Did you have any challenges with being a 
you know, being at West Point? You know what? West Point was hard. I think that, um, like I'm a hard worker. I work really hard. Um, so it was, it was difficult. Um, but so academically, I think it was probably like right in the, in the halfway point. Um, so, you know, it's interesting as you were talking, I mean, I just have thought a lot about West Point, you know, just over the past year and then even just preparing, talking, you know, for tonight and just, um, realizing like how at home West Point always is. And I didn't, I didn't recognize that even when I was there. And then for, you know, a good 20 years, maybe even well, we're coming up on our 30, good 25 years afterwards, like at how, how amazing all of these people are that we don't even like, I don't, we, obviously we don't even know all the people in our class. Like, mm-hmm. There's still so much opportunity and um, to connect with one another. So, so I, what I was getting at is that, you know, I was dating Nat my sophomore year. I was on core squad. Um, I had to work really hard. So a lot of my like good memories really just have to do with watching those guys laugh and like Dave Dwyer, Dwyer and John Tyner and Scotty Pfeiffer and Dave Mathis and Dave Lasquez. Um, Chris Hart used to make fun of our tack. We had an Air Force tack who he got caught making fun of him. Like, like he literally would imitate him. <laughs> Dave, what was his name? You got to tell me what, what the Air Force tax name was. And Chris got caught, like, literally mimicking, mimicking Corcoran, Captain Corcoran, I think. Right. So they were just funny as hell. And I just remember finally, I think probably my senior year, literally kind of being allowed in that circle or allowing myself and laughing hysterically with all of them. Bill Marshall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it was good. It was good senior year. But other than that, I think I was pretty much like working like head down. Well, also, probably maybe it's something to do with the fact that you were a course squad athlete mm-hmm. on the team for the first two, three years. And then you were able to sort of like enjoy the experience. You're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. So I'm glad I didn't play my last year for that regard. Yeah. That you're totally right. Thank you. It was Captain Dart. That's the. Dart. Dart. Yeah. That was the tax name. Cochran was before Dart, I think. Oh, Captain Dart. That's. We've got to get Chris Hart on. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was good. Good times. Yeah. I had I had Chris Hart on for a little bit. He was he was a group of people all together at the beginning when I started doing this. And I went out to uh, went out to Carlisle Barracks and interviewed some of our classmates there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. And did, so he has a he has an identical twin brother who's two years behind him, came back to West Point afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I know did that brother come by like when when you guys were cows does, does this like ping this plebe come pinging by it looks exactly like one of your classmates what was totally, that totally like? totally and I think Chris used to jack him up too really? I mean we all know you know he I mean they do look totally alike too so yeah that was pretty funny <laughs> I, I there was one time that I think uh I, I asked Chris this uh like he, they they switched places at one point when his brother was stressing out as a plea, he said, "Okay, listen, I'll be I'll be a plea for a little bit. You you take you take the brass, and I'll be a plea for a little bit." Oh my gosh, they probably could have gotten in serious trouble for that, huh? I, well, I, I think that they were maybe just in. Yeah, probably you're right. It probably was some crazy some crazy thing. They would have slugged him for that, but I pretty- do recall that. I don't know the details of that, but I'm I do recall something like that. Yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned John Tyner too. Was he was he in your company, John Tyner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 One of our, 
one of our one of our fallen classmates and and uh, just just a great guy. What, what are your memories of, of John? Well, it's interesting because Johnny, like he was like the um, ultimate Southern gentleman. You know, he wore mm-hmm. cowboy boots and a big hat and he had that Southern drawl. And <sighs> yeah, just a great, just a great guy. Sorry, I didn't mean to like get you. No, I just, yeah. I, I, I talk to his parents every once in a while and he just like, ugh, so full of life. And, uh, and I remember it got really real for us really fast. Yeah. So just, just, I, I think of him, you know, often, often. And I know that we all do and we, um, stay in connection with his parents and, you know, D2 has had a lot of tragedy and, uh, and that was the first of, of several. So, mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. So we all, we love him and we'll see him soon. Right. Well, that's right. And he's with us and, and they live through our, they live through our stories, right? That, that's the other thing too. One of the reasons for this whole grad podcast, I've got, you know, four specific objectives. You know, one is to call attention to our, to our class gift and, and, and to, and to make sure people are aware of what, what we're doing there. The second one is to, um, to, to be better connected to West Point and to know what's going on. The third one is to remember our fallen classmates who live through our stories and to remember and be able to celebrate their lives. And finally, it's to, it's to, it's to lift each other up and to celebrate our successes. And mm-hmm. you know, the fact is like we have this, it's just, it really is beginning to hit. And you, know, you and I were talking on the pre-call more about this as we come up on our third year reunion, we've had these parallel journeys, right? We're all together at these different points in time and then we spread out and then we come back together again. And it's, it's a celebration. It's sometimes in, unfortunately for tragedy as well, you know, and, and, you know, we, many of us were together a few months ago for Anthony DeToto's funeral. There was others of the, us together that were for you know, Keith Mallinson's. I think you mentioned that you were all together. The whole, many of the D2 people came together to support Dave Velasquez, right? When his wife passed. And you, you talked about that day. It's like, that was when you really began to really feel this strong connection to this, these, these siblings basically that you have right in life. Yeah. Yeah. It was really powerful. And it was, it was, it was a small group of us and, um, and, and, you know, we had come together, you know, over technology when Craig lost his wife, Craig Peterson lost his wife just a year or so before that. And, um, and, you know, then we lost Tommy McTeague and, um, and so, but when we were there for, um, Dave's wife, uh, to celebrate her life and to be there for Dave, um, it, it just, Dave, first of all, you know, it's just gone through this incredible loss and showing up, you know, at, at places where we are and, um, just like being the consummate leader and connector and, strong spirit for that he always has been even in the midst of of his own personal tragedy and um and you could see that that was true for his son and daughter that they had raised barb and dave had raised them so beautifully it just was in the midst of such tragedy there was such connection and and all of us were witness to that and we were connecting with one another on as we were talking about on a much deeper level and and to recognize that we are all the same 
and all very different. And it was, it was, uh, I, I think Mark Shatton, I, I think is one who came up to me and said, I'm sorry for the way that we, you were treated at West Point. And like, he didn't need to say that. I didn't, I, I didn't have any feeling, uh, negative feeling, but just even him saying that was a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. And, and so, and I, I know that everybody, you know, in the class of 91 has experienced that to some degree or another. I know you have too, as well. Well, I mean, that's the that's the situation with hindsight, right? You got, you know, 30 years of hindsight, becoming a parent and be, being married and, you know, getting your getting your teeth knocked in a little bit, like in, in your, you know, you, you, you know, yeah. events where, where you get your um, your ego kind of knocked, knocked down a few times and you realize like, hey, you know, there there's, you know, there's something to this and and this this connection that we have with with one another it's, it's a beautiful thing and it's really it's kind of unique right i mean how many other elite institutions put a thousand people through a very similar experience and then they have the almost exact same identical job for the next 5 years mm-hmm. you know we all have the experience of like having to sort of challenge a a non-commissioned officer with more experience than us and kind of like having to be the leader and and then, and then having to lead troops and, and having to deal with, you know, your, your, your leadership and your management and your, and your command structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, we are so, we are so blessed. We're so blessed. I mean, um, I can't say if I had the opportunity to go to Yale or to go to, you know, William and Mary or, 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 uh, what's the other place that beach went UVA or whatever. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I did really want to go to West Point, though, I have to say, but I didn't, those weren't options for me. I'll just say that. Very <laughs> very yeah. Yeah. And it's unbreakable. It is like, it is unbreakable. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Um, you know, what, one quick note on that, just before we go to the next thing, but, you know, I heard somebody say Bernie Banks, who was the head of BSNL said this, he goes, you know, we like to say that we're competing for the cream of the crop in terms of academic, like, you know, we're competing against Yale and Harvard and MIT. The reality of it is we're not. Like there's maybe 10% of the core of cadets that could have gone to those schools. Mm-hmm. Most, most of them were not going to those schools. We're competing against other fairly right. accomplished type schools. Mm-hmm. He said, but when our graduates graduate, they are right there with, in terms of competitiveness for all those Ivy League opportunities, they're right there. And I think it's true. I think that it, it upgrades, you know, the, mm-hmm. the solid, the solid B plus type students. It's, it upgrades your, your, your um, value proposition, basically. No doubt. And I hadn't heard it described like that, but I think that's a, I like that. I'm going to take that. That's a good way to mm-hmm. think of it. So you were commissioned in aviation, right? That was your yes. uh, branch. How did you choose that? And what was that like? So the way that I chose that is, um, it was between that and something like quartermaster, right? Which I totally did not want to do. So again, like people go into aviation, like I've always wanted to fly. And I was like, uh, I, that was not the case for me. So, um, again, I really probably didn't know what I was getting into, but it seemed like better than quartermaster. So and it didn't go out, right? I was only halfway. And I think it was one of the first years that it didn't go out at the very top. Deviation? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So when I got there, I remember um, Grant Heslin was there from A1. And then um, Gene, oh, what is his last name? It just left my head. I'll think of it. And then I, and then I um, was, Freeman? what? 
Friedman? Gene Friedman? Wilson. No? Gene Wilson. Oh, Gene Wilson. Okay. <laughs> he had a freaking snake at, at, at flight school and he would kiss that thing. <laughs> I just saw Gene at the Army Navy game. Damn, he looks like he's like a, he's a, either an ER doctor or something, you know, like he said, I think I'm going to go to med school, med school. So of course he did. But anyway, he and Grant Hassel were there. And then, um, Sue, uh, Hennessy, Sue Felburn was there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was a good time. Tommy awesome. McTeague was there too, right? Who? Tommy McTeague. You're you oh, of course. Yeah. 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 Tommy was there. He was a little bit ahead of me. I didn't see him quite a, 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 as much. He was, he was, he went ahead of me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was good. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. One of my mem one of the things that I, I I reflect on when I think of the Old Grad podcast is uh, Ted Russ's reflection of Tom McTeague at uh, aviation school. What that was like, he said that like he he just referred to him as being so so happy, so just you know free and just and he would walk around the beach with like his bandana on, do rag style and a and a beer and just and just be just like a full of life person. Right, so. right. Yeah, he totally was like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so every pilot has a story of some close call that they had. So tell me- Why are you asking me this, Jamie? <laughs> I mean, you, you can't, I mean, there's always something that happens, right? Yeah, who, you were telling me that somebody else had a close call when somebody else was on the controls. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it was uh, Scott, Scotty Fight said that one of his, somebody like got vertigo and just they didn't know what was going on. And Yeah, yeah. So that did happen to me, except for I was the one who got vertigo. Um, and it's interesting, there was a couple of different incidents that happened that made me go, holy shit, like we could die doing this stuff, right? <laughs> like you just, just, which sounds really stupid, but it, they, one of them was that a, a, a not a, a, um, a woman, she was not a West Pointer, a woman, she was a Chinook pilot that they, they were training and she was almost done. She was finishing up her Chinook rotation and the, the rotor cut the Chinook in half. So that was one death that we all were like, holy shit. That happened while you were there? While I was there at Fort Rucker. Um, so that was one. And then, um, and then at desert storm, when two, um, chief warrant officers became POWs, right. And you could tell, you know, they were shooting the shit and trying not to drink too much alcohol the night before their flight. And then, you know, I, I shouldn't say that like, or just like they weren't even thinking prisoner of war. And then there they are like these two guys in their, in their, um, pilot uniform and they're, they're, prisoners of war. So I remember thinking, Oh shit. Yeah. Right. That's two. And then the third one was when I got vertigo and, um, I, like I was telling you earlier that I just like, I literally, it was very hard for me to give up the controls because I literally thought he was going to crash the aircraft. And then that was the third time I was like, okay, whew, this is some serious shit. What, what was that? What was a Huey that you were flying? It was just a Huey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, so that I remember like really being shaken up for a long time after that and, and mm -hmm. really taking it a lot more seriously, mm -hmm. a lot more seriously. So then I remember studying more like, you know, you studied as much as you needed to. What, what do they, they used to say, like, you know, enough to kill somebody as a pilot. Right. <laughs> right. So you that's all that's happening. And then you get positioned with these seasoned Vietnam chief warrant officers, right, who really know what they're doing. And um 
yeah. So, so that was, that's my, that's my near death experience of me almost causing my own death. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a few comments coming through on that comment about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches from the aviators during ranger school. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, that, that's one of the things that when you get picked up by the, by the, you know, doing some aerosol thing that they're throwing food back to you. So that, that was a. Uh, oh, I thought they were saying that we got sandwiches and they didn't. That was something. No, that no, no, no. No, in, so, but yeah. with, in Ranger School, when you get on a helicopter, the avi, because like they're in charge. It's like, you know, it's their bird, they're in charge. They start feeding you. Like, oh, people, right. Oh, because you have to. Right. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 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 So that that's what would happen when we, when we were picked up by the. Uh, by the Hueys. By the Hueys or the Blackhawks, whatever we're picked up by. Yeah. Uh -huh. So where was your first unit? So my first was at the then 24th ID at Fort Stewart. I think it's a third ID now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went there. I was a platoon leader. And then, and it's here's an interesting story. So while I was the platoon leader, at the time I was married to Nat, and he had, he was an armor. So in Savannah, there's Fort Stewart, and then there's Hunter Army Airfield. So I was at Hunter Army Airfield near Savannah, and he was stationed at Fort Stewart. So mm -hmm. he became a general's aide. And one of our missions, my platoon's mission, was to fly that general. So we would fly from Hunter Army Airfield, pick up the general at Fort Stewart, and bring him to Hunter Army Airfield, or vice versa. And sometimes I would fly Nat back and forth, or my, or my guys would fly Nat and the general back and forth. So that was always a little weird. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> the, the, Army, the Army now has fixed-wing aircraft. Uh, there's there are young like uh, captains lieutenants flying fixed wing aircraft. That's crazy. Yeah, That's and crazy. I saw actually just um, our classmate. Uh, it's uh, is it Craig Craig Baker? His daughter is an aviator and was flying around our classmate uh, General John Braga. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, small small world. Yeah. 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 Getting smaller so when, all the time. When you have a general on the bird, like, what's that like? I mean, do you, do you, you feel like you got to, like, I don't know. Oh, like, totally. It's, like, completely different? Or, like, 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 what do you, like, is it, you have to clean it up? Like, hey, the general's coming on board. Make sure that there's not, like, or like. Oh, totally. Of really? course. Of course. Right. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you're not chit-chatting with each other, right? You're, you got, you're making sure that your mics are not, you're, he can't hear what's going on. Um, it's very precise right you got to be there like within a two minute window mm -hmm. um and it was general burns i remember him general burns um and i actually this is very strange i ended up i was i ended up coaching his daughter's soccer team at fort stewart so we had a pretty good relationship and i remember that it was it was a fairly pivotal time because that was nat's last um is that accurate? I think it was his last job because we remember watching General Burns get um, sent to Saudi Arabia or something. He had three young daughters and and we, we were like, I think Clinton had just come into office and I remember we were thinking, shit, if a general's got to go wherever he's told, maybe it's time to get out. And so then Nat got out and then I stayed in for a little bit longer and then that's when I was at, I just went to Fort Eustis and then Fort Belvoir after that and then I got out. Oh, you're at Fort Eustis? How was that Fort Eustis? Just, just for Cloac? Okay. That, what is that? I can't even remember. It was like, 
logistical. I can't even remember what that acronym even stands for. Somebody here might know. My my son was looking at William and Mary going to school, so we went down to Williamsburg. I don't know why I ever left that place. I left for uses early. I should have stayed there for yeah, long. What's that? Why did you? Why did I leave? Because they had the early out, and I was like, they were deactivating my engineer unit, and I was like, well, do I want to stick around for get extended for an extra eighteen months and go to the advanced course late? for 18 right. months and maybe not staying in the army anyway. And so, and I'd just be turning in tools for the next, you know, two years. Right. It was so short-sighted and stupid because it was great. It was a great assignment. And I should have just stayed. I, I like, if you've listened to other podcasts, you'll hear me say, I wish I had stayed in longer, at least until mm-hmm. company command. I got out early, quick decision, not well thought out. And I wish I had stayed in for a few more years after that I stayed, that I got out. Why? I just, well, first of all, when you're a lieutenant, I got out as lieutenant. I mean, I was a senior first lieutenant, but I got out as lieutenant. Like, of course you're going to get out if you get the opportunity, you know? And and, and it was like, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get into business and I had some other reasons too, some personal reasons. My stepfather was was dying of cancer and my father needed my help. There's a bunch of other reasons. Not, I call them reasons, but they're kind of combination of driving forces mm-hmm. that made me want to get out that, I chose to get out, but in hindsight, if I could go back and talk to my 25 year old self, I would say, stick around for another few more years. I know, but you didn't say why though. Cause it was awesome. Cause I loved it. Uh, I loved it. I mean, I, I was allowing like a, a, a couple little short-term things to drive. I also had a bad breakup with a, with my girlfriend, which is not a good right. thing here to like right. you know, get in your head. Right. And so I it, like, I, here's the other thing too, because I was new to Fort Eustis, I just come back from, a, you know, from, from Korea, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't know too many senior officers. Um, and, and so nobody was like in my ear saying, no, you can't do this. They were like, oh, right. who's that? Who's that guy? He's just going to get out. Mm-hmm. So I, anyway, it's hindsight. It, right. But now when I do talk to, you know, young officers and I, and they're asking me about getting out, I say, you should really consider sticking around to at least a company command. That's my, mm-hmm. my guidance to everybody. Yeah. You don't do anything by waiting until your late twenties, you know, <laughs> 20, 29, by the way, you're, you're still babies, you know? I know. I know. Yeah. Moose yeah. George and I were talking about this too. Like these captains, they are like little They're, I mean, of course they're officers and everything else, but they're young. They're young people. Now they're we young. totally sound like old grads, right? I know. <laughs> I I was at um I was at Fort Sill for um Dave Baxter's brigade change of command, and I was in staying in this little this little uh like hotel area, and it backed up to officers' housing, and I saw this this family was doing this PCS move, right? And so I see them packing these these boxes like with little kids bikes and like skateboards like this young family so i'm like oh this is you know probably like you know i see i see the i see the 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 wife and i think she might be pregnant and the and the father you know the, who was the who was the person who was the person serving in the military in, in the army and so i was like oh they're probably like he's probably like an 03 he's probably like you know he was coming out of battalion command he finishes battalion command He's like, you know, like he's calling me, sir. I'm like, you wait, you just finished the time. You look like I could be your, your dad. Oh you know, I mean, he looked really, he looked really young, but like battalion commanders are like 34 years old. 
That's that's how old, uh, maybe 36, 36. That's how old they are. Okay, they are just getting younger. We're not getting older. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess so. I guess so. We, but we digress. We digress. <laughs> so you said transition was very, very tough for you. You went from high speed, low drag, hitting LZs with like a two minute window mm -hmm. to picking up Cheetos in the back of your minivan. Yep. Yep. So tell me about tell me about that experience. Yeah. So, you know, I actually I really did want to get out. I had had two kids 14 months apart. Um, I had my second one right when I was getting out. Um, Nat was in grad school in New Hampshire. I was living by myself in Virginia at Fort Belvoir with a, you know, 10 month old or nine month old and pregnant. And um, so I wanted to be out like I was ready to be out. And I never thought that I would I was never like the mom type, I, but I was ready to do all of that. Um, but having two boys under the age of 14 months and um, I, I thought I was going to, I, I, I was probably re really depressed. Like it was really tough. I felt like I had lost my identity. I thought that what I was doing didn't ma matter. Um, I, you know, I, and as I said, right, I went from doing something that I thought was important to something that, that I knew was important, but sure as shit did not feel important. Right. Um, so that, and by the way, being a parent, you know, it was tough. Um, I mean, we all know it's tough. It's hard, you know, not sleeping and all of that other stuff. So that transition was really hard. And that's really when I got into fitness and I realized that I could go to the gym and, and have some time to myself for, you know, at least 90 minutes. And then, or I think it was two hours you could leave your kids in the, in the gym. And so that's when I really started to get into fitness. It had nothing to do with being at, you know, at West Point or any of that stuff. So yeah, so that was a really rough time for me. And I think that um, it's probably a little bit more popular now to say that parenting is difficult. Um, but back then it was like, oh, isn't it beautiful? It's just, you know, so fulfilling. And I was like, this sucks. This is really hard. I wasn't really that good at it. <laughs> I'm sure you're great at it. I'm sure you are great at it. It gets challenging when these kids get older now. I mean, like, it's one thing when they're like under 10, you know, now when they're like 20, it's. Oh, it's so it's awesome now. Yeah. Voice. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole nother set of like, you know, a little bit more serious issues, but, um, you know, a lot of the coaching that we talked about at the beginning, like I, I learned all that stuff and I became a better parent. I was a lot less attached to them as, as human beings and just was more about being a, a, a good adult around them and a good parent. And so it took me a long time to figure out how to do that. So that was, that was tough for me. And that's kind of what I think launched, like you said, it launched your commitment to physical fitness and the connection between mind, body. And mm -hmm. you mentioned this was, you know, transitioning is tough. I think everybody goes, there's a sense of loss. You talk about, you mentioned depression, mm -hmm. you know, like you're at risk of depression when there's these big changes that happen, right? And so like leaving the military is, a, there's almost no greater change, right? I mean, in right. terms of that type of a- right. Well, there, there are, I mean, and then, you know, loss, there's, there's a feeling of loss, there's a feeling of, you know, what am I going to do, purpose, the whole thing, mm -hmm. and then to sort of like work your way out of it through physical fitness as one of the means, one of the protecting factors is something that's really, we should all be taking notes about that. 
Yeah, and you know what? I wanted to like take this opportunity. I just um, spoke with um, Major General uh, Bob Dees, who just now is putting together the National Center for Healthy Veterans, and we're talking about doing a little bit of work together. But um, it's um, www.healthyveterans healthyveterans.org and um, and it does help. I mean, I think now when people are transitioning and I can put that up on your website as well mm. um, or on Facebook is that when now I think the transition is potentially even harder. So for our, our classmates who've spent their entire adult lives, right? That's one thing. And then also for people who've been in, in, in war, like combat. So the, so you and I were talking a little bit about, um, that and so I so the National Center for Healthy Veterans is a brand new organization and he is looking um they're building those ti- you know those tiny houses mm-hmm. they're building houses they're getting ready to build like 120 houses and and uh so anyway so I just wanted to throw that out there yeah because transitions are difficult I mean any of them are but for sure out of the military and and, and, and this, this, the role that you have in terms of connecting people to their physical fitness, understanding their emotional wellness and the connectivity between all these things, this is, this is your life's work. This is totally what you do. This is my passion, right? And as I told you, I mean, I'm practicing it. I practice mm-hmm. the exterior model. I'm practicing it. Um, and, and as you and I talked about, like, I, um, I mean, I do quite a bit of work for, for veterans who, you know, want to do the programming and they can't. So I, you know, I do work like an individual basis. Um, but I really want to do a little bit more actively. And, um, and so that's when I reached out to, to, um, Bob and then, um, there's a couple other organizations I'm working with, but that one, I think I, people need to know about the most, I think is, could be useful for anybody transitioning and yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we've been talking for, believe it or not, for an hour and 22 minutes. It just goes by so quickly. It's amazing how, how, how quickly it goes yeah, by. Yeah, because you are really good at this, Jamie. And by uh, the way, how, how about hats off to you for doing this and like keeping us all connected as a class. Like, thank you so much. Your four pillars for the reasons of doing this. So we all love you, Jamie. Round of applause. Well, thank you. I, and, and we love you too. And I want, I want to, I want to give you the, I want to give the opportunity to talk about parting thoughts. But before we do that, I, I want to, I want to also think about what it is that um, your business is and like, is there, is there a, a case to be made for saying, could we look to connect more classmates to you and say, let's put together some type of a cohort. Let's think about like, you know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're, we're getting ready for a 30 year reunion and we're going to be doing this, this hike in June. Like yeah. who wants, who wants in? I mean, I want in. I will, yeah. I have done it before. I'm going to do it again. I told you, like, you've got this cohort right now. I will, commit to be one of the last two people you have in it. But mm-hmm. if you, you mentioned that you might want to do something just with our class, if people totally, are- I would totally do it. And so this is what I would say when people ask me about when we're doing those one-on-ones and we're talking about investment. So there's a financial investment, which there wouldn't be for this group. Um, and then the other two investments I think are, are even more important. And the first one is, is like what I call the wellingness or willingness to like, to do the work, to be conscious in the moment and to, be able to look at, you know, why you are not falling through or whatever, why you're not reaching your full potential or, or whatever. And so that's, that's, that there has to be that investment. And then the other investment is really one of time. So if we do a cohort, it would be, you know, meeting, I don't know, we could design it however we want, but the way that I normally do it is, um, you know, a meeting once every two weeks or once a month or however we design it, but to show up to do that work and then in between times to show up and be present because that is where we really don't, 
this that's where we go beyond just changing our behaviors and actually change who we are and like that is lasting like that's that's the good stuff that's the real way to transformation transform and it's not really all that difficult it just needs to be consistent so there's an investment for that as well so yeah i'm up for it anybody wants to play I, like i would love to do that especially because we were talking about the fact that there are people who are really hurting and they feel alone right so and this is something too like we were like like hats off to vince duquet to richie ryan to yes. other people who sounded off and said like it's okay to not be okay like we we have been through we're in a global pandemic. We're points. And all. I, I, you know, I, I was, um, yeah, I thought you, you know, um, for myself, I will tell you, I was as, um, when Anthony DeToto died, I mean, to me that, I mean, uh, by the way, and we, he, he did this podcast. I have this beautiful kind of time with him that we, we spent time together and I try not to get too emotional talking about this, but, um, you know, I, uh, I love that guy. He he's the ultimate sort of giver of anybody. So I, I didn't go to his funeral. I, I didn't want to travel across the country in the pandemic and everything else. And so I was, uh, I was watching his funeral online, like live, you know, mm -hmm. because they had the thing. And I was in this exact room by myself. My kids were, you know, doing their homework in a different room. My wife was at work and and I just, and, and Brian Melton gave this amazing eulogy, you know, and, um, and I tell you, I mean, I, like the emotions that I have, like, I, like, like, like your typical, like, kind of man cry kind of a thing, like, yeah. like wiping tears or something, just kind of holding it back. But I was by myself in this room and I was like, looking around, like, and I was like, there's no, nothing is going to hold me back from just crying my eyes out right here. Like I, like I, I, I uncontrollably ugly cried for like five straight minutes. I think like, it was like my, my daughter says, dad, it was your toxic masculinity leaving your body. I'm like, well, whatever. That's like my <laughs> daughter or whatever. whatever right. But I, I will tell you, I, it, because there's so much like this is not a good time for any of us right and so like and then on top of that to lose such an amazing person and then the, i i felt like i did feel like better after that like i, I like i felt sort of like this like like i don't know it's like a different kind of feeling like sure. like we are all going through tough times here you know yeah. and that those of us that are leaving the military leaving the army after 30 years this is a major league kind of thing and Mm -hmm. You know, although we probably all should have 40 or 50 years of life left in us, maybe yeah. we, you know, so let's, I don't know. Anyway, my yeah. random thoughts, but. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. I think it's, um, it's definitely courageous to, to just be right. And to let it be whatever it is, whatever. It's and just, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's totally right. And by the way, it's not just okay. It's totally normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so what you do is you help connect us to these kind of deeper emotions and the physical mind body connection, all that kind of stuff. And so, so what, what do you have is kind of like your parting words of wisdom to us uh, for our class. 
Well, you know what? I think I'm going to piggyback off of what you just said, Jamie, which is um, the being part, right? Um, So I have this thing, I call it be, do, have, right? And you may have heard it before, right? And it's about being, and it kind of is like duty shall be, be done. It's being all the time. And, And a huge piece of that is being connected with one another and that it is never too late for us to connect with one another, to be connected, no matter what your experience was or what, you know, whether you were in combat or weren't in combat or you were in for four years or in 40 years or, or 28 years or whatever it is. So I think it's to, to let people know that they are not alone, the duty is still being done and that we are all still connected. And I, I, I would, I'm going to dare to speak for everybody who is here that if somebody got a phone call from a classmate, that they would, they would show up and be with them in whatever way that they needed. And probably even more so today um, than ever before. So, yeah. So be connected. Let's be, be connected. connected. Be connected. Well, that's a great that's a great note to end on. Be connected. Let's do uh, let's it. Connect, let's connect. There's we've got a bunch of lost classmates we got to connect to too that are not the sort of yes. outside the realm. So let's connect them too. So be connected and duty shall be done. Duty shall be done. Thank you, Jamie, for doing that. You're a big piece of that. Thank you. Stick around. I'm gonna end the live feed and let the credits roll out. You're fantastic. Right. Thank you so much, Tracy. But Thank stick you. around. Bye, you guys. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast.